Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And I'm Michael Footer. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 162, the stark contrast between positive earnings and gruesome layoffs. Hell of a title there, Mike. It's, you know, the funny thing is I'm looking at this show, which is a ton of earnings up front. Oh, yeah. Most of them pretty positive. And then an enormous labor report with a small, it's like the worst Oreo cookie because the cream filling on the investment interlude is so small. I am really upset that you're calling investment interlude a cream filling when it's just... It's just money. Well, I mean, a couple years ago, it was like a double, triple, quadruple stuff cookie. And now it's like, you just got two chocolate cookies. Maybe maybe someone whispered the word cream in between them. I don't know. I feel like maybe this just isn't a cookie. I feel like this is just a bad analogy. It's not very tasty is, is what it, I'm saying. Is it a Hydrox cookie? What's a Hydrox cookie? Oh, uh, okay. So Oreo is made by what? Nabisco? Maybe. Okay, so there is there was a competing cookie. I think they still exist, maybe, uh, from one of the other companies called Hydrox. Hold on, now I gotta look this up and see oh, who made no. Hydrox cookies. Oh no! There's I've actually done a funnier story that I'm not going to tell right now because no. we don't have time. And no. So Hydrox cookies, you can still order them on Amazon. Um, were made by Leaf Brands, and they looked like Oreos, right? Okay. But they were Hydrox. And apparently they've been around since... They were made by uh, Kellogg's from 2000... Okay, so they are made by Sunshine Biscuits from 1908 to 96, then Keebler from 96 to 2001, then Kellogg Company from 2001 to 2014, and they sold the brand to Leaf Brands. So that's why you don't really see them that much anymore. So it would have been before you moved to the States. Got you it. would have seen Hydrox cookies, you would have been like, what is this off-brand Oreo? And I'm like, it's an off-brand Oreo. I learned something today. Yeah. I'm upset. Yeah. Uh, so earnings. Speaking of upset. Yeah, so we have a lot of earnings to go through. So buckle up. We're going to do our best to move as quickly as we can, but there are a ton. Yep. We will take a break after earnings um, because this is just going to be so top heavy. So Mike, yep. kick us off with what's going on with Sony. Yeah, so Sony reporting for second quarter of fiscal year 24. So again, with companies like Sony and Microsoft, which uh, where gaming is a piece of a much larger puzzle. Yeah. Uh, we talk about the full company. So for Sony, revenue was up for the full company 8% to 2.83 trillion yen or $18.7 billion. Operating income was down 29% and net income was down 29%. So that's okay. Sony as a larger company, <clears throat> right? Got it. For games and network services though, revenue was up 32%. So beating the company overall... Uh, by significantly in terms of percentages to 233.4 billion yen or 1.54 billion dollars operating income for game and network services was up 16 percent remember for the full company it was down 29 percent so gaming right. pulling its own weight there mm -hmm. uh, to 6.8 billion yen or 44.9 million dollars sales were driven by increased hardware sales not a big surprise there yeah third party game and add-on content sales and positive impact from uh uh, foreign foreign exchange, foreign exchange. Yeah, that's right. FX. And we're gonna we're gonna see that echoed across a lot of the Japanese companies yep. because the yen has seen kind of that windfall. Yes. So, and that has been the case for a couple of years, for a year plus now. Mm -hmm. uh, operating income also benefited from third party game and add on content sales. However, increased losses from hardware sales dragged things down a bit. So, 
Why is that the case? Because they just announced two new models and there's costs associated with redesigning a, a commercial pro a consumer product like this. Correct. Uh, so that has um, hampered. So things would have even been higher in terms of operating income mm -hmm. yep. if uh, if the new models weren't around uh some some notable items on the sony side sony has delayed half of its dozen of live service games that are in the pipeline now remember they look at bungie as one of the smartest acquisitions they've ever made uh and jim ryan went so far as to say that they were getting more for their three billion dollars or so that they spent on bungie than microsoft was going to get for their 69 billion dollar purchase of activision now i don't know if that's entirely the case because we'll talk about that in the labor report um and what's going bit. on what's going on with that however bungie does bring as we've said <clears throat> all along really important competencies where sony was missing and that's in live yeah. service so what sony has been doing was running its entire portfolio of live service games through bungie for evaluation purposes yeah the result six of those games continuing on as planned six of them delayed potentially canceled because i saw another report suggesting they were canceled so we'll see what happens at this point with the gassiker it would not surprise me if they were canceled cancel games that don't that aren't performing well that aren't living up that don't seem interesting now send them back into prototyping that that is the that is the thing that makes or, sense. Rather than than launch the game, have it pivot. stumble, do a big old pivot out of live service. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I, I don't think they. I think they need some more live service games. But my concern here is twelve of them. Let's say they quality manage... over quantity. <clears throat> exactly. If Sony were to actually have managed to launch twelve live service games by 2025, now granted, some of those are going to hit different audiences. Yeah, you could have a live service sports game. You could have a, a number of other things. Right. Mm -hmm. That 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 approach different an action adventure MMORPG. So if you do that, okay, great. But the problem is we're seeing, as we've talked about with the Gassiker, I think we had our big conversation on the last episode. We did indeed, where we were talking about the similarities. Like this is, everything has happened before and uh, it will yeah, happen yeah. again. It's very Battlestar Galactica. It's very, it's very Battlestar Galactica where we had that, that interesting conversation that Mike called me in for to talk about what happened with MMOs um, during the, during the teens. Yeah. Right. During the 2010s. And, and it's something that we saw with MOBAs and it's something mm -hmm. that we've seen with character shooters or hero shooters and or whatever. MMOs and now, and, yeah. and now we're seeing it with, um, games as a service as a whole, as a whole. Absolutely. You know, what is different here though, from our conversation, um, a couple weeks ago is Scott Hartsman, mm -hmm. who we've had on the show before a great conversation that we yeah. had with him. Former He's, head of trial worlds. Absolutely. And I listen, I am a ripped Stan until the end of my days. Brilliant. MMO was way before it's time. Um, he actually wrote an excellent piece on Medium talking about how you should be evaluating whether or not you should be making a live service game. Mm -hmm. So it was a great piece. Like, Scott is incredibly intelligent. Like, he's he's amazing. So if you have a chance to go look up his article on Medium, it's, it's fantastic. So in conclusion here, <clears throat> six of those games are still going to be released by Fiscal 25. I cannot imagine with what we know about the Gassiker now what would have happened if they had just fired 12 games out that's very spaghetti at the wall i think it's a lot of wasted money you I don't want to so put too. all your eggs in one basket but i think six is a much more reasonable number than 12 and it's certainly yeah. a more reasonable number than one or two if you're really trying to build something big for live service i suppose um, I, I but we still do need to talk about bungie but we'll get there yeah i still don't know if i agree with the approach um i'm i'm I, I'm worried that this is going to end up the way that the way that things ended up at Paradox, where they mm -hmm. they ended up going very broad in strategy rather than deep, 
And it ended up not working out for them for a number of reasons and partly because it was outside their core competency. Yeah. So I worry that this is also going to end up in that similar degree. And who suffers when things go sideways? Labor. Labor always suffers. And we'll talk about that later <clears throat> as well. So I, I, I do think that Sony does need more live service games, but I think they need to be great games um, that, that do fill that gap. And I think that with Bungie there... And using Bungie as a vetting resource for uh, for those live service games is really smart because they probably just saved themselves don't enormous worry. amounts of money. Ash is here. Yes, Ash is here. Hi, Ash. Don't no, worry. No, no, don't come back here. No, no, no. I love you. No, no, no stay, stay. No, no, no doggos. Yep. Yes. Bye, bye. No, go that way. All right, that is it for Sony. Although we do have one little note in the in milestones when we get to quick hits. Absolutely. All so right. let's move on ahead to what's going on in EA. So this is for uh, Q2 for fiscal 24. It's a solid quarter for EA after laying off 6% of its workforce. And so about 800 people, just a tiny layoff, like just really tiny. just so small. I mean, it's only about 10% of the, now we're up to around 8,000, I think. Oh my God. Yeah. I saw that number when I was over, when I was up at MIGS, like that, I, someone mentioned that number and I'm like, you know what, with the ones we, we that we, we don't, don't have, 8,000 is probably a fair number. So EA was responsible for 10% of that this year. It's horrifying. Yep. It's absolutely horrifying. Um, so that, it was about 800 people back in March of this year. This is a stark, oh, thank you. Thank you, vehicle outside, for making yeah, lots of noise. Down. Thank you, dryer, for making noise, too. Aww, it is, it's so You nice. guys are just, like, in our house with us right now. Oh, listen, Enjoy. when we when we build our when we build our new office, we're going to have a little podcasting space, and we won't do this. We won't be able, able to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, you got to just get a window into our lives. So it is a stark contrast to the company announcing that it repurchased 2.6 million shares for $325 million during this quarter. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. So stock repurchases are shown, like, that is, that's a show of strength. It is a show, a show of strength. strength. It shows, a show like, confidence. hey, we're reinvesting in the company. Yeah, so great. Yes. After you axed 8% of your work, or 6% yeah. of your workforce. But wait, so great. total share repurchases for the last 12 months. Are ten point five million shares at one point three billion dollars. So I have, have a big. I have a big problem with this. Payoffs for layoffs. Payoffs for layoffs. That's really what this comes down to. And the last time, and again, we talked about this in March. Um, the last time that EA went through mass layoffs, and I do mean mass layoffs, they were the the contrition around that was really it was palpable, mm -hmm. right? This. This isn't. And I know that you have a stock repurchase plan in place <clears throat> that's a multi-year plan, right? And yeah, that's... that's but that's a multi-year plan that was put in, in very different economic situations. So during the pandemic to... or right before the pandemic when things were on an upward trajectory, you have to revise it. You have to go back to your investors and say, hey, look... We can't. We, we can't. We've got to take care of our people. Taking care of our people is really, really important. Yeah. And I, I, I have a big issue. Big, 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 big issue is, here. This is absolutely payoffs for layoffs. And in this house, we we call it out. Yeah. We call it out when, when it happens. So this is not okay. Yeah. Uh, net revenue was up just one half of a percentage to $1.914 billion. Full game revenue was up 3% to $621 million. Live service revenue was down just a hair, so just under 1% at 0.7% to $1.293 billion. The stark contrast mm -hmm. between full game revenue and live service revenue is honestly astounding. Folks, I think you are getting an, a preview of one of the things that's going to be in our trends report a little this bit. year a little bit. over the holidays. 
Uh, net income, on the other hand, was up a whopping 33% to $399 million. Net bookings were up 4% to $1.82 billion. Live service net bookings were up just 1% to $1.129 billion. Full game net bookings were up 9% to $691 million. Really strong Let, year for sports. It was a strong year for <clears throat> sports for sure. Mike, net bookings, real quick. Why are they important? So back in the day, we used to talk about selling and sell through when it was all physical product. Now, net bookings are effectively the new version of uh, selling. Correct. Because you've got all of your, that's your product selling, <clears throat> plus it is your digital sales. Yeah. Um, and your, and your, in your physical. Yeah, so absolutely. So it kind of covers everything. It covers everything. It's, it, that is your, your blanket, but net bookings has become a, an important metric in the, in the post digital Absolutely. Because it's, games. it's, it's the way for companies to measure out like how both physical and digital are doing in one, mm -hmm. in one fell swoop. Yeah. Okay. So some notables live service is now wait for it. And I need you to either hold on to your butts or buckle up. 73% of EA's business. Now, when I was, uh, when I started at Game Informer in 2013, we had just started getting close to 50%. Yeah, we weren't there yet. Yeah. And it's taken a number of years to get up well, to this point. Hold on, 50% digital. Yeah, 50% digital. So that wasn't even live service. Live that service was, is but... something that has been going on since I think 2018, 2019, is it's become more and more and more of, of EA's of EA's revenue, of Take-Two's mm -hmm. revenue, um, less so Ubisoft. I, I would say that the tipping point <clears throat> on live service games, because live service games have been part of the PC ecosystem for a very long time. Oh, yeah. Less in terms of consoles. But when um, Destiny came on the scene, mm -hmm. as a, it was... When was that, like 2015? Yeah, but it wasn't even it wasn't even right away. It was when they started in when they introduced Eververse. <coughs> okay. So you started having that recurrent revenue that was more than just expansions. Mm -hmm. um, so we were moving into that model of oh, we're going to have incremental uh, expenses or incremental purchases. Right. Fortnite being a big one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you might recall PlayStation Four launched uh, with a couple mm -hmm. of free to play titles. Warframe yeah. was a launch title. Yeah, for absolutely. PlayStation Four. So it was that Blacklight Retribution game. Uh, which oh, I, I reviewed for one of the very few reviews I did for Game Informer. I forgot about that game. Yeah. I remember reading that review. So there were free-to-play games. But once free-to-play was destigmatized, became a mainstay on consoles, mm -hmm. that is when you started seeing this shift to live service being a huge portion. And then, of course, Absolutely. you've had the transition of games like Rocket League and Fall Guys, which went from premium games to free-to-play games uh, post-epic acquisitions on both of them. So yeah. what we have, what we are what we are seeing now is, is this... This shift, but we are seeing the snapback in terms of the gas occur. Indeed. This is going to potentially be ugly. Yes. Madden NFL 24 net bookings specifically are up 6% year over year. Player count is up 10% year over year. And average usership is growing 10% weekly. Yep. It's a good year for Madden. Good year for Madden. It's a good year for the brand spanking new EA Sports FC as well, which, as you'll recall, is their replacement for FIFA. Yep. Because they no longer have the FIFA license. Yes. Thank you, Door. Always appreciate it when just random sounds happen in our in our mm -hmm. general vicinity. So EA Sports uh, FC has 14.5 million active accounts in its first month. 
It's incredible. The mobile version had 2 million installs on its first day, 5 million in the first three days, and 11 million in the first 10. Real quickly going through the forecast for EA. Net bookings outlook is unchanged. Net revenue outlook is unchanged. Cost of revenue outlook is unchanged. EA expects to have slight operating expense savings, um, but lowering the outlook 2%. They're also increasing earnings per share guidance to 62% uh, year over year. Interesting. But, but that was partially due to a one-time tax benefit. They are planning on reducing their real estate footprint, which is going to drive capital expense savings as well. I think that's probably better. I, I know that they have their big campus up in... in, in uh, Redwood. In, yeah, the, in, in Redwood, and they have another campus in Burnaby. Yeah. Um, Burnaby, British Columbia, for those that don't know. So that's within the Greater Vancouver Regional District. They I don't think they have many more... Florida. They have... Oh, right. I forgot about that. That's where Madden That's where is. Madden's made, yeah. Yeah. My coworker at Hackjack used to work on Madden, and he's down in Florida. So, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess that's uh, that's, that's EA. EA. All right. We got big, chunky Nintendo stuff going on. We got a lot to talk about with now, Nintendo. Nintendo, to the best of our knowledge, has not laid off. No. They don't tend to do layoffs. They don't tend to do layoffs. Um, and their, their, their turnover... Uh, especially in Japan, is relatively low, from my understanding. Employment turnover, for those of you listening in Europe, not revenue turnover. Oh, sorry, my bad. So, <laughs> employment turnover, so, like, talent retention yes. is quite good in Japan. It's okay in North America. I don't know how things are in Europe, but it's it's eh here. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, the first half, because... What Nintendo tends to do is they will group Q1, Q2, It's a Japanese Q3. company thing, which makes sense. So, so Sega and Square Enix are also <clears throat> going to be first so half. So it's going to be first half. So it's Q1 and Q2 for fiscal 24. So net sales were at 796.2 billion yen or $5.2 billion US, up 21.2% year over year. No surprises there. Mm-hmm. Operating profit is at 279.9 billion yen or $1.85 billion, up 27% year over year. Net profit is at 20 or sorry, 271.2 billion yen or $1.79 billion, up 17.7% year over year. For the Nintendo Switch specifically, hardware, sale, hardware sales remain relatively flat at 6.84 million units sold, which is up about 2.4% year over year. No surprises there. We're on the tail end of a life cycle. But we're actually going to get into that because Nintendo thinks that we're not. Yeah, this is Software really sales are also somewhat flat at 97.08 million units sold, up 1.8% year over year. The sales are due to the positive impact of The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, and the Super Mario Brothers movie. There's actually, they they had charts Mm -hmm. in their presentation that's just like, yeah, after the Super Mario Bros. movie did really well in theaters, here's what happened with Mario Kart and a bunch of Super Mario Mm -hmm. software. A lot of affinity affinity style. Yeah, absolutely. People really happy. I mean, this happens all the time. It does. This is not surprising. Like, this is why transmedia is such an important piece of IP strategy. So this is is great. I love to see it. We want more Mario because Mm -hmm. that movie was incredibly silly and also very fun. Um, I don't know. Do you have the note in here about... uh... We're going to get there. Okay, It's at the very end. It's in here. No, different note. What, they no? announced a live-action Legend of Zelda movie. I did not have that in here. Yeah. So that's so, going to be really good for them as yeah. well. We don't have any details, obviously. Yeah. It was in their presentation. Um, I wasn't going to put it in here because it didn't seem 
particularly salient because it's not out yet. So yeah, fine. I mean the fact that it's been announced, it's been long rumored. Um, we've seen the effect that the Super Mario Brothers movie had on. I don't think this will have the a same positive knock on effect. Yeah, one exactly. might say. Uh, but not knocking in your pipes because then you got to call a plumber. Then you got to call the plumbers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that mm-hmm. Zelda will, the Zelda movie will have the same kind of effect just because Mario is in so many different games across so many different genres. Uh, I do hope it means that we'll finally get our Wind Waker uh, on Switch or Switch 2 by that point. I um, don't know, but we're going to get there. We'll, we'll talk about yep. what's going on uh, with the rest of Nintendo's IP because they actually did talk quite a bit about it in Great. their presentation. So this is the biggest first half fiscal since the launch of the Nintendo Switch. In 2017. In 2017, including the very concentrated effect of the global panini mm-hmm. in uh, 2020, where we saw a six-fold growth over the course of a single quarter. Oh, man, I remember that episode. It was it was a very early episode for us. I think it was like April or something. Mm-hmm. We'd only been recording for about a month at that point. Yeah. Um, Nintendo was also attributing the increase in their, uh, in their sales due to uh, the depreciation of the yen. So, positive FX. Forecasting is up all over the board, except for hardware sales, which isn't given, which isn't surprising given the late state of the Switch's hardware cycle, um, with special attention given to the 23.5% increase in net profit and a 25% increase in ordinary profit forecasting. So, I actually want to talk a little bit about ordinary profit just for a quick second. Just give us a quick definition. It is not a term sheet, Michael. Do mm-hmm. not go into it. Uh, uh, yeah, you all can't see his face, but he's he's thinking about yum. it. Yum. Gross. This is that's an old holdover just from a like. Slurry no, of- stop it. No. Bad Michael. Where's my spray bottle? Ah! That was definitely not a spray bottle. It was definitely just Mike making sound effects with his mouth. Yeah. Um, So ordinary profit is calculated by adding ordinary income and profits from other activities to the main activity. It's interesting. So it's operating plus other activities. Essentially, yeah. Got it. Um, This gives us the result of the business's overall transactions for a given reporting Mm -hmm. period. So it gives us a a fuller perspective of what's going on. Mm -hmm. All right. So after taking a look at what was going on with Nintendo's... uh, with the way that they want to be handling their IP, they're redoubling their efforts on expanding their addressable market through diversification of how fans are able to access Nintendo's IP. They are specifically calling it IP expansion. They want to be focusing more on merch, theme parks, visual content, and by that I mean movies and television, and mobile in addition to their video games and consoles. Very interesting. Uh, According to Nintendo, this will feed back into, quote, strengthening connections with each consumer to build a long-term relationship through what? Their Nintendo account. Uh Uh-huh. The Nintendo... Finally, that will cross over, we hope, to the next... uh... I think it's going to. I think it's going to. Because the Nintendo account has been around since the the DS era. Mm. Yes. They changed it. It would I think. okay. I mean, fair enough. They did change it, but you could merge. The yeah, two. You, I think it was the three at, at the end of the life of the 3DS. You could merge <clears> the <throat> accounts. Yeah, and that I think and that's that, what they we would all have did. Share, 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 share. Wow, listen, it's a it's a shared Monday. shared wallet. There yes, it is. the I shared wallet. There. That's right. Okay, so because the uh, Super Nintendo Bros movie did as well as it did globally, Nintendo is looking at that as a means to continue to capitalize on markets that the Switch isn't currently being sold in. Mm. China specifically. Yeah, but that means they need to team up with somebody. Well, I don't think that it's about necessarily the distri- the distribution because, like, the Switch is available in China, kind of. Uh-huh. 
but it's like basically Beijing and like Shanghai. Okay. Uh, and that's it. Or those are really the places that you can get it, but you can go see movies basically wherever. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's what they're looking at is like oh, in markets okay. that they don't have a ton of switch distribution. They do have movies. So they're able to get people interested in what Nintendo is doing in their IP just by creating movies, television, mm -hmm. and more ways to access their content. Got it. Nintendo is well aware of the markets outside of Japan, which is great because goodness knows that they don't, they make it seem like they don't want to pay much attention to the rest of the world. Um, they, that everything has increased. So like for markets outside of Japan, it has increased fivefold. In terms of the impact Power on their the bottom switch, line, man. the switch is so important. They went from a switch in every household to multiple switches in every household, mm -hmm. which is how we ended up with the with the uh, switch lights. Yeah, which is incredible. Um, so as a as as a result of that, the outside of Japan markets. Um, has it has had a, an enormous influence on their commitment to both localization and distribution for hardware and software. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Nintendo Switch Online now has over 38 million members as of September 30th of this year. Quote, we'll be, we will continue to release new titles and content for the Nintendo... Oh, this is the thing I wanted to yeah, talk about. Yeah, this is interesting. So remember how we were talking about the whole life cycle thing? Mm -hmm. So this is what... This is what they ended up putting in their presentation. We will continue to release new titles and content for Nintendo Switch without being bound by the traditional concept of the platform lifecycle. This is a really interesting comment in the presentation, especially given the understandable complaints that the Switch hardware cannot keep up with increased software demands. Additionally, there I saw it reported that they denied having shown a Switch successor to people, which I don't know. I, all I will say is that the rules of engagement with the press are different in different parts of the world. They are. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. I think that that's probably for the best. As a final little bookend of this, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, which we still haven't played in our house yet, but I'm very excited to dive into it mm -hmm. with our daughter and maybe maybe our son. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we can get Gabe into that. That'd uh -huh. be really cool. Um, has sold 4.3 million copies in the first two weeks. Considering this is the first new entry in the Super Mario uh, series in 11 years, and no, Nintendo is not counting remakes. In the, two, the first 2D. Yeah, the first 2D. Yeah, because Odyssey came out. Yeah, so the, the 2D, like, side-scrolling, oh, like it, got the got traditional it. Super Mario Bros. experience, mm -hmm. right? It. Mm -hmm. It's the first one in, in 11 years because they're not counting remakes or remasters, which is totally fine. This is still huge. Yes. It's huge. And there's clearly a hunger for it. Mm -hmm. Also, everybody wants to be an elephant. Oh my God. The ele elephant Mario on drugs is just the funniest. It's awesome. It is. I can't wait to get back to it. I absolutely agree with you there. So big quarter for our big first half of fiscal for Nintendo. And here's hoping that they continue to not lay people off. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, take two for Q2. FY24. Net revenue down 7% to $1.3 billion. Recurrent consumer spending is down 9% and was 77% of total net revenue. That's a slightly smaller proportion than this time last year. Mm -hmm. uh, NBA 2K23 and 2K24, GTA Online, GTA 5, uh, the hyper casual games, uh, RDR2, Red Dead Online, Merge Dragons, Words with Friends, Zynga Poker were all the big contributors. Total net bookings were down 4% to $1.44 billion. Again, they don't have a ton. They have WWE, 
They've got NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot going on right now, so it's not a surprise. Operating income slid further from a loss of $252.5 million in Q2 of last year to $543.7 million this year. Okay. Uh, the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization increased 11.6%, though, to $72.9 million. There's not a ton to say here other than Take-Two continues to be extremely volatile. They always have been as long as I've been covering this industry. Yep. Uh, but it's no shock <clears throat> that they announced that the GTA 6 trailer is coming in early December. And, of course, when you say early December, I we would, know this is going to be at the Game Awards. Like, if we it's know. not at the Game Awards, I will be shocked. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of at the Game Awards, we'll be at the Game Awards. We will indeed. Yes. That'll be our first time, and I don't know if we'll go back again, but it's an adventure that yep. we're... We're going to have Absolutely. to celebrate eight years together. Yeah. Eight, eight Falls years? Falls right around our anniversary. Yeah. Yep. Eight, eight, is it eight years? Or is it seven years? No, it's... Yeah, it's eight, eight years. Jeez. Oh. Yeah, I found it on my fingers. All right. <laughs> okay. Remedy. Great. All right, let's talk about remedies. So, note that Alan Wake 2 was not in this quarter. So, remedies on a... Calendar year, fiscal year. So this is their Correct. third quarter. It is indeed. So this is the third quarter for fiscal 23 because, yes, they are on a calendar. They're all on a calendar system. So revenue was down 1.1% to 7.8 million euros or $8.3 million US. Operating loss mm-hmm. was 5.5 million euro or $5.9 million from a 3.3 million euro loss uh, or $3.5 million loss in the same quarter last year. So they're still operating at a skosh of a loss. Yeah, that's going to change though. Like it's, we're going to see that, we're going to see that flip We're going to see Q4. this. We're going to see this turnaround in Q4. Alan Wake 2 just, to say that the reviews were glowing, I think would be a gross misunderstanding. Yeah, very excited to finish our year. replay of Alan Wake 1, finally play American Nightmare, and then dive into Alan Wake 2. It's very exciting. I, I love... We are such Alan Wake stands. Honestly, we're a Remedy stands. Oh, yeah. House. I, like, I, Remedy is my, is my favorite, hands down, my favorite developer. Yeah, it used to be Blizzard for me. Wonder what happened there. Mm. All right, so some notables. Control 2 is in the proof of concept stage. This is... So I don't need to tell you. If you are a developer, I don't need to tell you. This is a hard stage. This is a very difficult stage. This is a nebulous stage, and a lot of a lot of games live and die by their proof of concept stage. Yep. Condor, which is the control multiplayer game, oh my gosh, that's gonna be so good. That's gonna be wild. It's gonna be so good. Is now about to enter full production. Good for them. Codename Vanguard. Yeah. Will begin proof of concept before the end of the year. Max Payne one and two remakes are also close to entering full production. We're looking forward to seeing the Q4 and full year earnings because, again, Alan Wake 2, just glorious chef's kiss reviews. And mm-hmm. you know what? I could not be happier for this this studio. Yep, like, absolutely. good for them. All right. Sega earnings for the first half of fiscal 24. Revenue was up 47.3% to 221.2 billion yen or $1.5 billion dollars. Operating income up 313.4% to 39.6 billion yen or $261.2 million. Net income up 140.3% to 23.1 billion yen or $152.6 million. You're probably wondering, what the hell happened? How did Sega do so well? Remember during the pandemic that Sega was one of the few companies that suffered because they were so diversified. Big suffering. Like, it was... We don't don't really cover 
uh, Konami, but it was all, all of the Japanese companies suffered except for Square Enix and uh, Capcom. Capcom. Well, Capcom, yeah. No, Capcom was the one that actually. Well, Capcom did the best. is not diversified in the way that some of the others are. They they don't have as much diversification, but they still have things like they still have their amusement yep. parks. They still have um, they still have their cabinets. And everything like that. But because Capcom is so focused and they have such a great back cat, mm-hmm. a big back catalog, yep. um, it was it was very positive for them overall. So, but Sega, oh my gosh, we were so worried about Sega. We thought Sega was going to fold. Yeah, it was it was ugly. It was really ugly. So, uh, new titles. They sold 1.6 million units compared to 1.48 million last year. So, uh, video games are still doing well mm-hmm. for Sega. Catalog titles, 8.85 million units, mm. up from 8.65 mm. million last year. Love to sales see were it. up for entertainment contents, which also includes amusement machines, by the way. Uh, sales were up 3.8% to 121.1 billion yen, or $799.2 million. Ordinary income was down 47.4% to 9.1 billion yen, or $59.9 million. As a reminder... Sega canceled Hyenas right at the end of this quarter. That's and such that's probably a what contributed here. It's such a bummer too. Like I understand and we know why they did it. And at the same time, again, who suffers? Labor. Labor. Which is that was accidental, but what? The Sega the Sega you know, Sega. That was accidental? Labor. I I, oh. I literally did it on purpose. Um, it was accidental for me. Oh. Well, uh, they noted that especially that uh, they noted that Europe is declining. Like they're like, oh, specifically we want to call out that Europe's declining due to the reopening of the economies and macroeconomic headwinds and inflation and stuff. So Europe has actually they've done worse in Europe compared to the other territories, mm-hmm. the other regions. Uh, very interesting. Uh, real quickly, their packy slot and pachinko uh, department uh, business unit sales increased two hundred thirty nine. This is why they have it. Yeah, this is why they have it. To 93.4 billion yen or 616.7 million dollars. Ordinary income was up a practically silly 1,855% oh to 39.3 billion yen or 259.5 million dollars. Resorts. Now, this is where they took the biggest bath. They the did, pandemic. yeah. Sales increased 7.2% to 6.1 billion yen or 39.98 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Ordinary income was back in the black. All right. At 240 249 million yen or 1.64 million dollars compared to a loss last year of 2.4 billion yen, 15.84 million dollars. Right, right. So, right. we're seeing this turnaround finally that Sega has desperately needed. Absolutely. All right. One more earnings. <clears throat> one one more earnings. All right, Mikey. All right, Square Enix for first half of fiscal 24. Sales are up 5.3% to 172 billion yen or $1.14 billion. Operating income is down 33% to 17.3 billion yen or $114.2 million. Net income was down a whopping 57.9% to 16.6 billion yen or $109.6 million. The big hit to operating income and net income was nearly 9 billion or $59.4 million in eliminations or unallocated. So this isn't what you think it is. Yeah, yeah. Hold up a quick sec because we got to talk about this. What does it actually mean then? So when when they report, when any company reports quarterly, they have to report on external transactions, of right? Of course, yeah. Now, in a company with multiple business units, typically what happens is uh, you do chargebacks from department to department so that you're actually understanding how much revenue 
uh, or expense each department is is bringing in. I'll give you an example. Okay. Um, so let's say we need to um, we need accounting services. I'm using this as an example. We have an internal accounting department. Uh, we're bringing them in for a special project or legal or anything like that, right? Uh, or actually, creative services is a good one. You have a creative services department that serves an entire company. Okay. And each department has to access that creative services department, um, whether that's marketing for merchandise or marketing uh, assets for video games, right? They all go to that same place. There's an internal charge that happens so that they know how much each of these units is using that service. Oh, that's very interesting. That's an interesting way to, to make sure that you're making good use of your interdepartmental operations. Right, but also understanding what the real costs of those and who is actually alloc and who's actually uh, accessing those those oh, different departments. Yeah, so companies smart. do this. But when you report, you have to knock all that out. Right? Oh, okay. So that's what you have that's what eliminations are. Okay. Um so interdepartment and interunit transactions aren't included in the consolidated report. So if there's opportunity cost, right? So if I have a creative services department that could be doing external work or I have this, whatever department it is that could be right. doing external work, or here's another one. Uh, I'm using merch from Square Enix's merch department in swag boxes for press and influencers. Oh, right. Yeah. That, that's not free. No, right? it's definitely you, not. It's you might get it at a, as a discount. You might get it at cost, but, but someone's got to pay for it. So yeah. it's got to be charged back against the department that's using it. Right. So you knock all that out. But um, I mean, they had a, they had a really big year with a gigantic launch. Yep. So what ends up happening is expense goes up, but there's no external revenue attached mm. to that. Right. Because it's, it's very, it's very targeted and very specific. Yeah. So while I don't know what drove this amount here, 9 billion yen is a lot. Uh, like that was the big contributor here. That was the big reason. Yes. Um, Let's dive in a little bit to the different business units. Digital entertainment. Total unit sales are up nearly 30% to 12.2 million units sold in the first half of the year. Final Fantasy 16 and the Pixel remasters drove those increases in sales. However, mobile performance is down. New titles like Dragon Quest Champions and Final Fantasy 7 Ever Crisis aren't able to make up the gap from flagging legacy titles. Okay. Because Square Enix tends to flood the market with mobile titles and they um, have, let's say, aggressive monetization themes. Yep, makes sense. Uh, MMO revenue is down. Not entirely a surprise because next year a new Final Fantasy XIV is expansion is coming. This is over. this is cyclical. Cyclical. We yep. know it is. Um, operating income is down due to development cost, amortization, and advertising and marketing costs as well. Mm -hmm. uh, on the amusement side, growth is, they had growth in sales and operating income, publications, sales, and operating income uh, were down slightly. Uh, and merchandising sales and operating income were up due to new character merchandise. You hear that every quarter that we report on it because Square Enix is very good about rotating their uh, their product mix so that they can continue to offer new merchandise with the characters that people are most interested in at that moment. Absolutely. it's 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 been an interesting one. Yeah. This earnings season has been very interesting. Galling. Yes. Especially for the places that have gone through mass layoffs, but... Uh, we are going to take a break and we'll be back with Investment Interlude. Virtual Economy is an F squared initiative and along with pro bono business consulting for up and coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.com. 
And we're back, but a quick note before we dive into investment interlude. So we recorded this episode in two parts, and in between, <laughs> Remedy announced a little change to one of its in-development titles, and we're taking a moment here because we talked about it as we did their earnings. So we mentioned that Remedy's Project Vanguard, which is funded by Tencent, was going to hit proof of concept before end of year. It actually has hit proof of concept. Yay! Uh, and they, Well, and uh, Tencent and Remedy took a look at it and said, you know... Maybe this ain't it. Oh. Very interesting. So they announced that a, there's a major change to the project, oh. which is now has a new code name entirely. Wow. Yeah. So it's being called Kestrel now. It's no what longer. A great name. It's no longer a free to play game. Oh, we love to see it. And they cited the Gassiker. Mm-hmm. Though they didn't call it as such. I'm personally offended. That's fine. Whatever. I'll get over it. Wow. So Remedy and Tencent evaluated the project. They said, you know what? We need to reboot this as a premium game. The market for free-to-play games right now is the really, bottom really bad. Is falling the bottom out. is falling up because of the attention economy. Yes, that's um, correct. You know, because the, the even... issue is not money anymore. No. You it's know, when attention. free-to-play game yeah, when free-to-play games started, it was, well, we can get people in the door because it doesn't there's there's no barrier to entry right. from a financial perspective. But what we have learned over the decade or so since free-to-play has kind of gained acceptance mm-hmm. amongst core gamers is that time is the more precious resource often. So I mean, it's both and. Both and. But when it comes to how many games you can keep up with that are, that are service games. I, that's what it comes down to for service games. Because like, I don't want to tell you how many games I have in progress currently. Um, and I definitely just bought a new game. Yeah. Literally last night. I know. I can't be stopped. Yeah. But, and and look, I've been playing a lot of destiny too. I have put in over a hundred hours of destiny Two since late May, early June. Uh, and I'm still like, I, once this season is over, once I do everything, I got to move over to Spider-Man 2 because I got to play Spider-Man 2 because Vivi's been taunting me because she finished it. She finished it in the first weekend. I know. She's amazing. Uh, so they're taking this game back to the concept phase. Uh, some of the team is being moved to other projects temporarily. The remaining core team is going to refocus the project. So they have to do a new proof of concept. Um, this no, is an extremely smart move. No, that's the way to do it. I mean, like normally how these kinds of, if you haven't reached... Anything other than we have a proof of concept. Like, this is the only thing that we have. Mm-hmm. Pulling it back down into your core. So that'll be your leads, your directors. Yep. And that's the directors exactly getting it. together, doing what they got to do. And then you expand back out. Yep. When you're ready to start executing or when you're ready to start pulling together that prototype, that vertical slice so that you can prove that, hey... This gameplay, this core gameplay loop works. I, I really appreciate this. First of all, I think it's very interesting because Tencent, like most uh, Chinese companies and Korean companies, is focused more on free-to-play yep. than it is on premium. So the fact that they're making this move, and this, they also said this will now allow Remedy to lean more into its core competencies. I love I that. love this across the board. Again, huge Remedy fan, as I mentioned earlier in the show, but I love to see this. And I did want to make sure that we, we grabbed this. Uh, since it hit while we were taking a little break. We're actually recording this over two days because life is busy right now. With work that, is busy. Work is busy right now. Uh, and next week's Thanksgiving, which means we're going to be cooking all week while we work. We're going to be like... Oh, no. We're going to have to create like our own little mobile office downstairs we in are. the kitchen. We are because we have so much to make. But that is for the gram. Uh, all right. It's time for an investment interlude where we talk about money, 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 and... Money. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, first up, this is going to come as no surprise, but Drake Star, which reports on M&A dealmaking, has noted that 2023 is down a whopping 60% compared to That's last it? year's Q3. That's really interesting because I thought it would be more than that. Well, 
so check this. In okay. this quarter, so in Q3, there were only 33 transactions worth, and they were totally worth about $5 billion. Now we're talking about full M&A, not just investment. Right, right, right. So this is M&A. A year ago, there were 81 deals worth $6.2 billion. And last year was even down. So, Oof. so obviously that's why investment interlude has been so short compared to what it was during the pandemic. Remember how long investment interlude used to there's be? A re- there's a reason why we created it. I like, know. Investment interlude wasn't even its own thing until it became Like we a had to figure out, like we, we started it's to. It's not quick hits, right? And it wasn't, these weren't main stories. They were just really, so this is. It's interesting because if you haven't been with us since the beginning, which is perfectly reasonable, we were absolute chaos monsters at the beginning, but everything was organized in a very different capacity. And, you know, 2020 and then into 2021, we really refined the ways in which we not only write, but we talk about a lot of these stories yeah. and how we organize them in the show. Yep. So. Uh, hopefully the flow feels better for you. It feels better, feels for, better us. for us. Yeah. All right. What's up next? Well, Atari has announced plans to purchase Digital Eclipse. I thought this was very interesting as Atari becomes a retro-focused publisher now that they've been taken private by CEO Wade Rosen. It's just the the level of intelligent decision-making around this particular acquisition is not astounding, but it's refreshing, quite yes. frankly. And, you know, I wish all of the lovely people at Digital Eclipse nothing but the best. Yeah, I'm a big fan of their work. They They're incredible. Um, So this is the second studio focused on revitalizing older titles that Atari has purchased recently. Just like Mike said, moving back into what not not just what Atari used to be known for, but what Atari used to be good at. I, I would go so far as to say that Atari has been without a brand identity for so many years that defining a brand identity and leaning hard into it the way Wade Rosen is taking the company actually gives Atari... I'm going to say it right now. Atari was kind of a joke for about 15, 20 years there. Yeah. Because it was just being kind of kicked around as a legacy publisher. Mm-hmm. And the name had more value than anything the company that was bearing was its doing. name was doing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So the publisher, remember, also acquired Night Dive Studios in May of this year. Digital Eclipse has worked on a number of fan favorite projects, including the TMNT Cowabunga Collection, the Disney Classic Games Collection... And most recently, the making of, uh, how do you pronounce Karatika. that? Karatika, thank you. And Wizardry Proving Grounds of the Mad Overlord. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Like, So one of the things that I think is really great, I think they worked on the Mega Man Legends game, or the Mega Man collection as well. Okay, that, I mean, that would um, I think sense. I read that one in the press release, I just didn't include it. If I'm wrong about that, then it's just we're seeing a, a trend across the board. And what I mean by that is... The rewind function on these very difficult older games, mm-hmm. the damn level is notorious in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, and the yeah. fact that you can rewind uh, is really powerful. That's the T- TMNT NES game, which was very <clears throat> difficult, but also really good. It had some very cool design stuff that was ahead of its time. It really did. It was a game that um, my brother and I played quite a bit of in the 90s. Yeah, and when you you know, you know lost a turtle, they got captured and you had oh, to rescue them. Oh, and you them. had to go rescue them. Yep. And I mean, how many... How many um, 4v1 multiplayer games have that rescue function? Yeah. Or even in games like, what was the one that we really liked? Uh, the Strange Brigade yeah. did that really well. I, mm-hmm. I, I like that because it means that players, and Vermintide also has that. Like, it's just it's just very cool. I, yeah. I love that mechanic very much. And I love that that's where the roots are. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Now, that's a really good thread that you just, I really like that. It, it's very, very it's almost like I make games. So. I know, but but that one is not one I considered. I, I really appreciate that. So I, I'm glad. I'm really glad. Yeah, the, 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 
I also remember it in um, in Evolve. Evolve had that, right? Um, Did they have that rescue function? Or I don't. I, I think I think Evolve. You it was down and out. I think once you were out, you were out. In Evolve. Oh, okay. I could because the whole point was to was to kill all the hunters. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. I must be just misremembering. Um, so anyway, yeah. um, the deal itself is worth six point five million dollars. So four million in cash. That's actually a good. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good cash yeah. amount of cash. And $2.5 million in stock. And that's all up front with an earnout of up to $13.5 million over the next 10 years. This is a long, this is a long-term relationship that they are clearly establishing here where it's not about, we're going to take them, we're going to gut them, we're going to do, we're going to be vultures. This is not about that. No, I think. This is very, very incisive. This is, I love seeing Atari rebuild a brand identity. I, I love to see great great ideas getting getting air and mm-hmm. I really enjoy because like I really like the folks at Digital Eclipse. I I'm so happy for them. Yeah, me too. And I I just I wish that I wish that studio nothing but the absolute best. Um the deal itself is expected to close quickly. Yeah, I said so within a matter of days. I, I love that. Yeah. Like good for them. This is a deal that I Again, feel good about. Relatively small private studio, privately held publisher now, that stuff is gonna is gonna move pretty quickly. For sure. Uh, this one kind of surprised us. Devolver yeah. Digital has purchased System Era makers of Astroneer. The deal is worth $22 million up front. That's $20 million in wow. cash and $2 million in stock, with another $10 million in deferred consideration and up to $8 million in earnout. Okay, so deferred consideration for our listeners. How, yeah. we, how do we define that? Because um, even I'm not entirely certain what deferred consideration is. Yeah, in, in this I case, I, I think that this is a case where it's like, we're going to pay you this money. It's not contingent on anything. It's just we're going to pay it along, pay it later. We're, we're going to pay it later. Whereas the earn out is if they hit certain milestones. Right. They, they hit their marks. They hit their marks. They get the additional. For they get, sure. Because uh, it's up to $8 million. So they can, it could be $6 million, It could be $5 million. But if they do everything they're supposed to, they'll make that full $8 million. Love that. Yep. Uh, Devolver noted that System Era's live ops experience and tech are part of the attraction. Oh. Remember, Devolver has purchased a couple of studios at this point. Right. Um, Devolver almost signed Astroneer for publishing nearly a decade ago, apparently. System Era mentioned that in their blog post. Yeah. Which is interesting, though, because I don't see that as the most aligned Devolver no, game. I don't either. Based on what, based on the types of titles they, they publish. Based on their portfolio yeah. and what their portfolio strategy has been to date. Yeah, but there, this must be interesting. A System Era must be working on whatever their next game is must feel more Devolvery, <laughs> I guess. Devolvery. Also, funniest thing, I was sitting in, man, I don't remember where I was sitting, but somebody had a Volvi sticker on their laptop. Volvi! Um... So that was really, oh, we were sitting at the, at the hotel. It was, I mean, she must've been going uh, to Migs, but she was sitting at the hotel and and I'm working on her laptop in the breakfast area Mm -hmm. and I saw it and I'm like, yeah, I get that. I understood that reference. Yeah. From Naughty 3. Yep. Good times. All right. What's up next? Midwest Games. You know, I've had an eyeball on Midwest Games. They're doing really, really interesting stuff. Yeah. They were, uh, so Ben, who I met briefly at TwitchCon. Oh, fantastic. um, Yeah. He's great. And. He seems like a really stand up person. Yep. They, uh, he was also a keynote, I believe, at the, uh, there was a, a conference up in, I think, Wisconsin. There was, yeah. Uh, and George I think George it. was there, yeah. yeah. My uh, co-founder of Leviathan Core, the company I work for now. Yeah, I saw that on LinkedIn, and I'm connected with, um, I'm connected with, with them both on LinkedIn, so it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I've been following this journey, so let's talk a little bit about Midwest Games. Yep. So they have announced funding in the amount of $3 million, 
that's pretty sizable. Mm -hmm. The round was led by Titletown Tech with Tundra Angels, Bright Star Wisconsin, and Wisconsin Investment Partners participating. That's really interesting. Yes. Um, the studio's first publishing deal is is signed with, um, is it? Jiley, I think. Jiley? Jiley? Yeah. Jiley yeah. Games? Um, Guiley? Who even knows? Uh, which is making raw, raw boom. Yeah. So what, what I love most about what Midwest Games is doing is they are putting that focus on building up more of a presence in the Midwest and the United well, States. Well, especially, you know, in a year where Volition, one of the pillars of the Midwest development community. That. They were in Urbana-Champaign uh, in Illinois. And of course, we still have Netherrealm. We still have Iron Galaxy. And of course, we have Midwest Games. But that that scene has really suffered. <clears throat> also, um, you know, in uh, Minnesota's not not that area. I mean, it's close. But, I don't know. Um, you know, game, been... game mills there. Right. Um, yeah, so anyway, I'm... I'm fascinated by what they're doing with Midwest games. I think that one of the biggest challenges that the game industry continues to face, especially in the United States, is finding finding ways to be together mm -hmm. and to be in studio, if it makes sense, without making people relocate to the, the coasts. Yeah. Because it's expensive living out here. Yeah. Like we we live on the West Coast or on the East Coast. I'm from the West Coast. And both of these spaces in both of our countries are extremely expensive. Yep. So I, I love this. And I, again, I wish Midwest Games nothing but the best. It's yep. good to see good people doing good things. Absolutely. I just slid this one in uh, before we started recording. Lies of P publisher NeoWiz has invested $17 million in Polish studio Blank Games Studio. Interesting. Uh, studio was founded by CD Projekt alumni. Uh, the investment gives NeoWiz a 21% stake in the company. Oh, all and right. Neo is riding high, Liza P, uh, which I don't know got... I, I haven't looked at all of the awards, but I don't think I saw it nominated for anything, which is surprising. That is kind of surprising because, again, like, I'm not normally into Soulsy games, although I really did like Elden Ring. Um, I've had my eye on it. Yeah. And I mean, it's on Xbox Game Pass, yep. so uh, I... This, the next Souls game I need to play, I need to get back mm -hmm. to Jedi Survivor. I'm really, I really like it. I, it's tough, man. Yeah, Souls games are hard. Yeah, <laughs> they I just don't, brain. I just don't have a ton of time. So it's this might be a situation where it's like, do I just turn the difficulty down and just enjoy the story because it's Star Wars? The answer is probably yes. Yeah. Um, it isn't because we're bad at games; it's because we're bad at having time. Yes. All right, we got one more. We do. Um, this one is a bit difficult to discuss, so I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm letting you all know that now this is specifically about the Blizzard stories that we have talked about over the... <laughs> not the acquisition. Not the acquisition, specifically the sexual misconduct yeah. and the really toxic work environment stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling you this now in case you want to fast forward and you want to move on to quick hits, no worries. I'll let you know when we come back. So NetEase has announced it has a new studio called Fantastic Pixel Castles working on a AAA MMO called Ghost. The team is led by Greg Street. So if you're a WoW fan, you likely recognize Street's name as he was the lead systems designer on Blizzard's MMO. However, those of you that aren't tuned into the MMO scene might also recognize this name. He was outed as one of the people who frequented the quote-unquote Cosby Suite at BlizzCon, you know, the center of booze, misogyny, harassment, all of that, just genuinely top shelf shitty stuff um, at that event year after year. 
we did send an email out to Nettie's about its decision to work with Street after his toxic history was made public, but we received no response. And I sent that email directly to Nettie's because Nettie's, yes. this wasn't through their PR company. No, 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 not at this all. This was Nettie's sent an email. Like I got, I'm on their, their press internal... list. internal. I sent it to their, their PR person Nothing. who has just ignored Nothing. The, the thing. And the, it was pretty simple. It was like, how does Nettie's have any comment on Greg Street's history with relation to his time at Activision Blizzard yeah. and the quote unquote Cosby suite? And yeah. I even said, if you're unaware of what I'm uh, what I'm asking about, I'm glad to send you some reference links. Yeah, absolutely. No response whatsoever. Yeah. So, boo Nettie's. Yeah, that. not cool. And you know what? This is part of a larger problem that we've been seeing where it's like, oh, look, these shitty dudes go away for a little while and then they come back and mm -hmm. it's like they haven't done the work no like i'm sorry if you participated in something like that you need to go away for a long time yeah i like i just i have i have a hard time with that but you know what <sighs> deep breath deep breath because you can come back because now it's time for quick hits it always sounds so beautiful. Oh, I think you have such a beautiful voice. Oh, I think y'all. All right, take us through. All right, the Epic Game Store still hasn't turned a profit. Oh, for the love of mutt. Yep. The news emerged from a from lawsuit testimony <clears throat> from EGS boss Steve Allison in the company's ongoing money sink of a lawsuit against Google. Now remember, Epic laid off a ton of people, but is continuing to wage these lawsuits against Apple and Google and spending millions upon millions of dollars fighting an uphill battle. So great. Love to see them waste this kind of money instead of taking care of internal talent. Mm -hmm. Like, what could be better? Oh, literally everything. In additional kind of not great news, Annika Grant, who was Ubisoft's chief people officer, is now on the way out the door. Yep. She joined the company after a series of abuse allegations came to light and, by all accounts, was entirely ineffectual in her role. Now, listen, we don't know what happened inside of Ubisoft. We're not, we're, we're not tight with folks inside of Ubisoft, so we don't know what mm -hmm. happened. We don't know. I, I sincerely doubt that this is pinned to one person. No, I don't think it is. And, and I think it's important to recognize that executive <laughs> leadership, even after hiring someone, especially if they hire someone for optics, you know, can still be a roadblock to somebody getting any getting stuff done. Well, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about that. Um, Annika, though, like, has a really storied background. Like, when we first reported on the uh -huh. hire, you know, I was really excited because mm -hmm. of her education and where she came from and yeah. all of that stuff. It's like, if anybody can kind of, like, help Ubisoft figure it out, it's, like, it's likely this person, mm -hmm. right? But I don't think this is on her. No. I, I, it, there is still a lot of organizational rot there that needs Yuck. to be addressed. Uh, former Embracer Chief Operating Officer Egil Strunk has now officially left the company after the reorganization announcement earlier this year saw him replaced with Saber Interactive boss Matt Karch. Uh, Strunk has now formed his own game company called Strunk Games. That's actually a really great studio. They're the strunkiest. They're the strunkiest. I yeah. like that. Um, Xbox has a new head of studios. So with the promotion of Matt Booty to president of gaming content and studios, Turn 10 studio head Alan Hartman is stepping up into the role. Hartman has led Turn 10 since 2005. Uh, I love this story. Oh, Elphonic, yeah, this is Shannon Garretson has been promoted to head of publishing. Um, Shannon came up through PR, was most recently Ilphonic's Vice President of Marketing Communications. Woo! Look, we've both had the opportunity to work with Shannon over the years. Big, great. big fan of Shannon. Yay, this is wonderful, great news. Congratulations, Shannon. Love so to see happy. this. Was so happy to have this email in my, in my mailbox. This was really great to hear. 
Um, we're wrapping up quick hits with a couple of milestones. Mortal Kombat 1 has sold nearly 3 million units since its launch on September 14th. And Spider-Man 2 has moved more than 5 million units in its first 11 days. Woo! As I was saying, God fire. 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 And those were quick hits. Oh, no. Yeah, it's the labor report. And now it's time for the labor report. All right, so buckle up, hold on to your butts, do whatever you need to do, make peace with your God. <laughs> well, I'm out the window. <laughs> Make peace with your God. Uh, oh. It's ugly. I'm saying, you know, I'm laughing because otherwise I'll cry. Because this is this is so ugly and it continues to be just such a horrible, horrible year for game makers. So we laugh so that we don't scream in absolute agony. First step on the labor report is... Actually, the story that everyone has been following for the last couple of weeks, which is what has been going on at Bungie. Bungie has made the decision to cut 100, do 100 jobs from its 1,200-person staff, which is an 8% reduction. This has hit a number of development support roles the hardest, including places like legal, creative, community. A, a lot of community. Like, tons of community. Like, these are, these are the people that are out there pounding the pavement, so to speak, on the internet, and taking care of the Destiny 2 community especially. And it is it was heartbreaking to watch all of those I've been hit to, I've been hit to, whether that mm -hmm. was on, um, you know, that it was on Blue Sky or Twitter or LinkedIn. It was just, it was so heartbreaking. Um, according to Bloomberg, remaining staff were, quote, informed that some of those areas will be outsourced moving forward. Oof. So I bet that felt great for everyone involved. Like, yeah, that's, wow, how stellar. Yeah, that we're, we're just going to outsource all of this so that we can cut costs. Mm -hmm. So cool. Leadership has cited a 45% reduction in player retention as a major driving factor since the latest expansion, Lightfall, has been received so poorly. Yeah, we haven't played Lightfall yet. We're actually working through the campaigns very slowly because <laughs> we're also balancing that with seasonal content. Um, I'm really enjoying the seasonal content. Oh, um, like, let's be real. Eris Morn is my girl. I am. I finished the season pass. I finished the seasonal missions. I am very close to being able to earn the physical deck of whispers, which Manda is hungry for. I am. No, I'm eyeballing. I'm not hungry. hungry. I'm. You would say I'm. I'm hungry like the hive. Like yeah. that's a that's upsetting and unfortunate. Moving on. Uh, CEO Pete Parsons told staff in a meeting that they would be, quote, cutting costs, including a hiring and salary freeze, but they also assured staff that there wouldn't be any layoffs. So this, of course, happened prior to the layoffs. This happened prior to the layoffs. Yeah. So this happened, I think, like the Friday before or something like that or the week before. Oh, wow. That's a quick turnaround. I, it might have been as, as much as two weeks. And again, I'm getting this from... From sources that are not Bloomberg, because I have friends inside oh, of Bungie. Oh, this is this is actually this is original like original original reporting. I mean, like part of that is coming from the Bloomberg stuff, but the other part of it is I I know for a fact that they were told that there wouldn't be any any layoffs because that is what people inside the studio have told me. Yeah. So that that's what I'm going on here, yeah. folks. Wow. So obviously that didn't end up being the case as of October 30th when the layoffs occurred. Laid-off staff will receive at least three months of severance and three months of bungee-paid COBRA health insurance. Now, remember, if you don't live in the United States and you live in a civilized country where your health insurance is not tied to your employment, 
in the U.S., COBRA is a bridge health insurance when you're between jobs. Yeah. So what happens is you stay on your company's health insurance, but you have to pay all of the premiums out of pocket because U.S. employers typically pay a big chunk. <clears throat> uh, my current job, they pay 50%. Yeah. Some jobs, it's more. Right. So it's, I think it's more for James, like James's employer, I think pays more. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's heartbreaking. The other portion of this is uh, laid off staff will not be able to vest any of the remaining stock options as a result of the acquisition from uh, last January, mm -hmm. which is again, like, great. So this whole, this whole thing where it's like, oh, you're going to get stock options. Look at how great this acquisition is going to be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, speaking of which, Bungie is not the only studio that has been hit with layoffs because obviously Naughty Dog was hit with very like hush hush quiet layoffs that they were trying to keep quiet, mm -hmm. but obviously did weren't able to because they were laying off, um, they were cutting contracts especially, but like the people they were cutting contracts with were under NDA, mm -hmm. so they weren't able to like put the work in their portfolios yeah. to show what they've been uh. up to. Uh, again, I've seen this firsthand. There's actually, speaking of, of things that have been really interesting lately, Aftermath, which is a brand new media cooperative founded mm -hmm. by a number of like really big names over on the media side, they, they actually wrote a great piece about kind of like what happens if your NDA'd work can never be seen by the public. Yeah. It was a great piece. Um, so Naughty Dog and Media Molecule and the San Mateo office were also all hit. So the next Destiny 2 expansion, Final Shape, has been delayed until June of 2024. It was supposed to launch on February 22nd. I That's believe. correct. Marathon will fall into 2025. Yeah. At least. Interesting. Uh, the Embracer layoffs continue. Star Trek online developer Cryptic Studios has laid off an unknown number of staff. <sighs> but this is the thing that caught my eye in addition to the, the badness. Um, Cryptic is now moving under the DECA Games business unit. It had been under Gearbox. So remember there were oh. reports that Embracer was looking to sell Gearbox? This yep. gives a lot of credence to that. It really does. So that's super interesting. Additionally, there are reports that Free Radical, which is, or perhaps was, working on a Time Splitters reboot, something that I was oh, very no. excited about, has entered consultation with the likelihood of closure. So the way consultation works is, and again, in countries that are more civilized that don't have at-will employment across the board, um, Which is basically everywhere outside the United States. Yeah, so if you're going to close a studio, if you're going to lay off a bunch of people, you have to go into what is called a consultation period, which I believe is about 30 days. It is, yeah. Where you have to explore other options. What can we do? Are there cost savings that we can take? Or how do we say, how do we minimize the, the impact? Yeah. Uh, so they're in that consultation period right now, reportedly. Um, Free Radical was brought back from the dead in 2021 after being closed by Crytek in 2014. Um, honestly, this one hurts. I was so excited to see Time Splitters get another crack at the can, yeah, man. Yeah, me too. Such a great series. Um, beleaguered NASCAR rivals developer Motorsport Games has laid off approximately 40 people in the UK and Australia. The studio previously lost unpaid wages lawsuits filed by two employees. Yeah. So, ugh. Uh, Esports org 100 <clears throat> Thieves is laying off 20% of its employees. Bummer. Finding Huge an employee bummer. count wasn't easy on this, by the way. Estimates range from about 170 to about 200. Making it more complicated, the company has gone through three rounds of layoffs in the last 16 months. Yeah. 12 people laid off in July 2022, 30 in January of this year, and now conservatively another 30 or more in this month. Uh, the Verge reports that the layoffs will primarily hit 100 Thieves game studio 
because uh, they were making their own games because that's something that esports orgs do now. Uh, There's and the, lots of spaces where they're making their own games, quite yeah. frankly. Uh, the company will be refocusing on its core competencies, uh, I guess, the esports bubble. A Hundred Thieves is interesting, though. They really are. Like, them and, oh my goodness, the, um, shoot. I can't remember what their name is. What their name is. I think it's, like, Evil something. Evil Geniuses. Evil Genius. Is it Evil Genius? I think it is, yeah. Um, they, again, it was a hundred thieves and if it is evil genius, then evil genius, because the people that are running those two organizations are really interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, Nade Shot is hundred thieves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh my goodness. Why can't I remember her name? I follow her on Twitter. I think she's fascinating. I'm bad with names. Forgive me. It's okay. If I remember, great. If I don't, well, I'm bad with names. You have Google. You can do it. I believe in you, everybody. <sighs> Oh, I thought we were talking about me. No, I was talking oh, about okay, our listeners. Okay, they right. have Google. They do have Google. It's true. It's true. It's true. All right. Don't rely on my poor ADHD brain. If I say... She is struggling. Hey, Siri. <laughs> no, I set off everybody's... I set off everybody's phones by saying that, which I will not do. Uh, Ubisoft has announced that it is laying off 124 people in various locations around the world. 98 of these people were working in admin services and IT in Canada or at the hybrid uh, VFX studio in Montreal. Notably, Ubisoft has also announced that it's got a new Web3 project in the works, so everything seems to be going really great strategically over there. Yeah, no. Ugh. Uh, the Glory Society, a studio co-op founded by members of the Night in the Woods team, has announced it is suspending operations and canceling no! its first game, Revenant Hill. Uh, two members of the team had stepped away due to health oh, concerns, man. and it would be exceedingly difficult to replace them. Uh, the team may share the details of its decision to close at a later date for learning purposes. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Yep. Man, the Glory Society was doing stuff that, you know, lots of indie studios only dream about doing. Mm -hmm. And that's so heartbreaking. I'm telling you, when the economy turned, especially, and, like, funding has become harder and harder to get, unless you have, like, quote-unquote, those people leading your studios. Mm -hmm. What a heart. What a, oh, I hate it. Um, in another non-shocker, though, um, Unity is signaling that it will probably be laying people off and reassessing its service and product portfolio. This comes after the engine maker and monetization company. Gosh, I love how you ended up wording that. That was like chef's kiss. Good hmm. job. Decided to dump gasoline on its in, in its relationships with independent development community and light a match just to watch the pretty colors burn. <laughs> so nice. So great. Yeah. Uh, Digital Extremes, the studio behind free-to-play action game Warframe, has announced layoffs and the end of its publishing business. The studio has divested its stake in Airship Syndicate's Wayfinder, which it published. Wayfinder went into early access in August of this year. Mm -hmm. Airship Syndicate, which was um, Joe Maguire. Mm -hmm. So one of the two studios that kind of came out of the Relic closure, the other one being the Amazing Gunfire Games. I'm a big fan of both of these studios you know, for I'm, a lot I'm of reasons. I'm familiar with... Uh, if you haven't played Remnant, play Remnant. Remnant is so good, folks. So good. Uh, which is also connected to mm. a couple of Oculus games. Uh, or connected to one Oculus game. That is, so yeah, there's a, there's, it, it's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it now. No, no, we're not a video game podcast, yeah. Michael. Uh, Airship Syndicate intends to continue development on the title though. So it, it, it came out to kind of middling <clears throat> reviews. I have faith though. It's early access. It's one of those things. Let it breathe. Let the community give the feedback. That's what early access is there for. So we'll see what happens. For sure. Uh, last couple of stories here. Melbourne-based Samurai Punk has had to make the unfortunate decision to close their doors after 10 years of being in business. In their Twitter post, they cited that this is a result of, quote, introspection, 
and that, quote, it's the right time for us to part ways and embark on new adventures. The studio created nine games in 10 years, an incredible feat in and of itself, including acclaimed games like American Dream VR, which was a delightful critique on American culture, and Screen Cheat, which was the first game that they developed, I remember rocketed them to where they ultimately landed as a studio. Screen Cheat was delightful. Mm -hmm. It was a delightful game. Um, they've shared a link, which we've embedded in our show notes, um, to help hire their staff. All right. Why don't you wrap us up here? And I'm going to wrap us up here because this came in late yesterday. Mm -hmm. I guess it was midday yesterday. Midday yesterday. Um, so remember how I was talking about Aftermath? Mm -hmm. I was so excited about this because this was this was a story that I got to re-report on with mm -hmm. Aftermath, which is a brand new site. Um, it was written by labor reporter Nathan Grayson, which again, like... Love to see him back on the labor beat because that's what he was doing at the Washington Post. He's also former Kotaku. Um, I love, like, go support this incredible endeavor. Please go subscribe to their RSS feed, follow them on Blue Sky. Like, just love the heck out of this site because they're doing really great work over there. So, this is directly from Nathan's um, piece. So, quote, this includes the entirety of Crown Channel, which is an Amazon backed Twitch channel. And the game growth team, which is a with a larger goal of refocusing efforts around Prime Gaming. So for those of you that don't know, Prime Gaming is something that Amazon is doing with with Twitch, I guess. And like you get free games. With free games, your... there's like DLC. It's if you're if you are a member of Amazon Prime um, and you and you're on Twitch, there are two icons <clears throat> at the top. There's your little mailbox, and then there's a little crown icon, yeah. right? And if the crown icon has a notification, there's a new there's a new goodie for a game. And yeah. it could be a mobile game, and it could be Something an actual like free new game. World. Uh, it could be for New World, like their own games. There's a lot of third-party games in there as well. Um, I I mean, I'm on Twitch every day with getting drops, so I see it. Mike is obsessed with his I drops. I am obsessed with my drops, yeah. So for those that don't know, though, about the Crown Channel, um, the Crown Channel was actually an attempt from Amazon to create more, quote, synergy between Twitch and Amazon. Uh, they did a number of big events on their channel, attracted some decent streaming talent along the way, the odd actual celebrity, and according to a piece from Bloomberg, uh, potentially artificially inflated their numbers along the way. Oh, no. Very exciting stuff. An important note from Grayson's piece as well, though, um, quote, Amazon boasted nearly record high profit margins in Q3 of 2023, according to CNBC. Workers paid the price. Amazon has eliminated 27,000 jobs since last fall. Now go support Aftermath. Yeah, this that is was a really good story. Seriously, I love Nathan's excellent work. story. Um, I'm so, I loved Nathan's work. It was like him and Shannon... Um, Shannon Lau, who's who, now over at Inverse, who's now at Inverse. She's the deputy gaming editor in Inverse. Also go support Shannon wherever she goes as well. Mm -hmm. I just their their work on labor at Washington Post helped inform this podcast over and over and over again. So we cannot overstate our gratitude for them being boots on the ground doing this labor reporting. Yep. It's so important. Absolutely. All and right. that's it for the labor report. That's it for the labor report. But we do have a couple of listener questions. First up from Robin, I'm curious to understand what you think the long-term ripple effects will be on the industry from this year's heartbreakingly numerous layoffs. How does having a large proportion of senior and mid-level folks in the job market change the way the industry moves and shakes in the oh, long term? That's a Were there patterns question. in previous periods of layoffs which we could expect to see now or is this year just completely not in the same league? All right, I'm going to tackle the last question first. Okay. Um, unlike the 
times where there have been layoffs in the past, we are in a very, very difficult macroeconomic uh, situation with high inflation. Yes. Interest rates are very high right now. So Which un- means that debt is very expensive. And it is very hard, as we talked about at the beginning of Investment Interlude, that funding is down. So what we're going, what we're not going to see, as we have last time, is a lot of people who are laid off or leaving or leaving studios who are suddenly founding their own studios with big investments. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we're going to see that. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see a lot of attrition from the industry. We're going to see these senior and mid-level folks forced to leave because they need to make a living. Where are they going to go? I don't know. And that's the scary part right now. But there are two issues at play. <clears throat> Prior to the, le- the, the layoffs, there was a big worry that there were no positions for juniors. Which means that people who were juniors were kind of floating out there with debt from an education. They weren't working or they were underemployed or they were working in other fields. And if they were working, and this was the other piece of the puzzle, there's a lot of criticism about mentorship in the industry when there are juniors who are working for companies. Yep. Now you're getting rid of seniors and mid-levels. You've got juniors who may, be, who may be left behind, who have had no mentorship, who have to step up into larger roles or have to take on more without getting promoted that which means they're going Mm-mm. to be working harder for the same amount of money because Mm-mm. everybody's freezing salaries i hate it i mean you can see the dominoes start to fall here i think we are in in a going to enter a period where there we're not going to see the quality of games that we saw this year i think when you look down two three years down the road the games that are that are starting in development now that are that are quiet where we don't even know exist at this point i think we're actually going to see games have to scale back because the talent just isn't there and yeah, things are going to turn around they'll at turn some ar- point, they'll but turn it's going to be within the next five years. I talked to someone yesterday. He's like, oh, people we're talking to said that it's going to turn around after Q1 of next year. I'm nope. like, no, nope. no, no. If we make it, if we get to the end of 2024 and things start to turn around, I will be shocked. I don't think it's going to be until 2025. That it starts. That it starts to improve. We are in for another bad year, folks. And believe me, this is one time where I hope I'm wrong. Well, we often hope we're wrong. Well, about right. this stuff. Yeah. Uh, about this kind of thing. I mean, when we said, when I said last year. It was July Mm -hmm. of last year. Get your deals in before the end of 2022. It's because I saw the writing on the wall. And I I wanted to be wrong, honestly. I really did. I wanted to be wrong. I was like, no, you know what? Maybe maybe interest rates are not gonna go bonkers. Maybe it's gonna be fine. You know, we're maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Right? But I wasn't. I wasn't wrong about this. And I don't think that we're wrong about how long it's gonna take to recover from this. The last time that we saw even a fraction of these mass layoffs was 2019, and it took a number of years to recover. And the only reason why it recovered as quickly as it did is because we were thrust into a global pandemic where gaming was something that brought families together. It was it was something that brought friends together. It was something that brought communities from all over the world together when we couldn't see each other. Yep. You know, it was it was so important, and that's that's the reason why. It, it, it made as much money no, as it absolutely. did. But in terms of, of how this is going to end up impacting, you know, what the labor market looks like, the labor market is, to say it's saturated, quite frankly, would be honestly laughable at this point. It's beyond saturated. It is a terrible time to be looking for a new job in gaming unless, and I am going to say this, Unless you are a programmer. If you are a programmer, whether you are in AI, you are in tools, you do systems, you do any of it, 
if you're a programmer, especially in mid and senior, you're going to be fine. Right. And at the same time, when you've got, um, when you've got Microsoft announcing a partnership with an AI company, it's like, Oh, specifically for things like the work that I do. Yeah. Right. So for writing, for Uh narrative design, for things that they think that an AI can do better than an actual human being, the, the, the cheek, the absolute I'm going to go one further. You can't love games if you you don't see them as art. And if you don't see games as art, if you just see it, then you're just a Web3 show. Yeah. Yeah, because that's about games for money, not about games for the human experience of playing those games. And I'm not Not saying... Not for the artists behind the games, Right. right? That are driving the vision forward. Like, I have a... I have a problem with AAA games being hidden behind auteurship. I really do. It takes hundreds, if not thousands of people to make some of the biggest games out there. And and seeing mid and senior talent bled away. So as much as we think that, oh yeah, they're going to move on to other industries. The fact of the matter is for a number of people, that may not end up being the case. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a level designer, if you are a systems designer, what are you going to move on to? Yeah. You can found your own studio, but right now there's not enough money or there is money in, in VC, but it's very difficult to access. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess what we're trying to say is this is an unprecedented thing. Yes. We've seen patterns similar to this before, but we've never seen this before. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Robin, for that question. Uh, and very I timely. I hope that, you know, of course, hit us up in Discord if you have any follow-ups. Um, you know, we'll, we're glad to have the conversation. Uh, our second and final question from Charles. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 reviews have started coming in. Metacritic currently had it at a 53 when Charles oh. shared this question. Uh, while this seems like a terrible time for the series to hit a speed bump, do you think it could actually work in Xbox's favor if they plan to adjust the approach to the franchise? Uh, feels like if you wanted to make an argument to get away from annual full releases, this is the time. They did move away from that. What direction do you see them taking? Full releases offset by a year of expansions like Assassin's Creed does or something different. Thanks for your thoughts. All right. First of all, remember there was there was a report that there wasn't going to be a new Call of Duty this year. Yeah, I was under the impression that we weren't going to get one right. this year. And Bloomberg, of course, reporting that this game was made under crunch, that it was made in 18 months. Usually Eight. these games take three years Hold to make. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You can make an indie game in 18 months. Yeah. And you can make an indie game in 18 months with anywhere like from like 10 people to 50 people. Mm-hmm. That's an okay thing that you can do in 18 months. A triple A game? In a triple A game in this franchise? In that this when franchise? When things take three years? I, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. Yeah. So I don't think this Who is... Who greenlit this? I'm looking at Manda. And yeah, my okay. Eyes say I mean, Bobby like, Kelly. I know who greenlit this, but this is like... Yeah. Again, this is mustache twirling amounts of evil yeah. for for like just brutalizing. And it's your another talent. it's another punch to to Sledgehammer's face, right? It sucks. It does. Because there's good folks working at Sledgehammer. Yeah, there are. Um, so here here's my here's my thinking here. I, I don't think this works in anybody's favor. Releasing yeah. a releasing a game that that's that's this poorly received you, doesn't do anybody any good. You decimate you decimate your future. By by right. release by releasing games in this franchise that do not meet player standards, you are decimating loyalty and trust. Right. Microsoft didn't need a critical flop in order to say, "Hey, we're gonna re- we're gonna redo things." No, we're going ne- to. That's not who they are as no, a company. We're gonna anyway. do. We're gonna go every two years to give each one time to breathe. Now, I do not think the DLC approach with Call of Duty works. Um, the reason why that is, we've tried it. 
it used to be, if you recall, Call of Duty released with four DLC map packs. So you buy the season pass, you get four DLC map packs. The problem with that is it splits your player base. And when you're dealing with a multiplayer game, that's a huge problem. You want to keep mm-hmm. as many of your players together as possible. Right. So I do not think a DLC approach for this type of game works. And the other reason is this isn't a narratively compelling series, quite frankly. And it's it's unfortunate because it could be. And there have been some pretty excellent mm-hmm. narrative moments within Call yes. of Duty over like the, the number of years. The original Black Ops was narratively excellent. You know, and I and I know that as much as again, and I know this was a punch to the face for Sledgehammer with Vanguard, but Vanguard had a number of excellent narrative moments, mm-hmm. and that narrative team was spot on. Yep, I, I I don't know what the answer is here, but I think I they either. need to. I think they look. Call of Duty does some very interesting things, right? Warzone is now its own thing. I love that. And that bridges the gap by itself. And I think that they don't need to do anything else. I think releasing a marquee title and releasing a uh, a new set of multiplayer parameters every two years with the campaign works. But then you can do some cooler things with the campaign. Right. You can and invest more in narrative. You can invest more in telling great stories. Oh, no, I'm stories. sorry. All, all we have is AI. Oops, all AI. Oh, well. I have thoughts. Press F to, to pay respects, I guess. F's <laughs> in chat. Yeah. So, I, again, Assassin's Creed, because it is so narratively focused, it works with spacing things out and creating those big Absolutely. beats in, bet- in the off years, if you yeah. want to call them that. I, I don't think DLC is the answer here. I think that focusing on looking at Call of Duty. So, when they used to look at Call of Duty, when you sit in a press press meeting with them they would talk about the three pillars of call of duty right Mm -hmm. they would talk about campaign yeah they would talk about multiplayer Mm -hmm. and they talk about the third mode whether that was spec ops or zombies or whatever or whatever yeah absolutely and those are the three pillars now your three pillars of call of duty are kind of split you've got warzone which exists outside of the annualized releases right you've got within those annual releases you've got campaign yeah and you've got multiplayer yeah the campaign is important. I think they tried to get away from campaign. They tried to minimize campaign. If you look at Modern did. Warfare 3, it is a minimized campaign. The The problem, though, and that's because they gutted their narrative team. Yep. Um, the problem, though, is that this is the Battlefront 2 problem. Yes. Where they launched without a campaign. Game sucked. No, like, Battlefront 2 had a campaign when it launched. Was it ba- the original Battlefront that didn't? Because there no, was... Battlefront 1 did not have a campaign. It was just a multiplayer game. That's what it was. It, it wasn't 2. It was... It was, uh, it was Battlefront 2 had a very interesting campaign. That that's was right. Versia, uh, Adversia. I for- no, I, no, I forgot about that. I couldn't remember if it launched with it or not. So the, the original Battlefront, like people were like, but it's missing a thing. It's missing yeah. that compelling arc. Yeah. That makes me... That, that hook that makes me want to come in on my own and not just like want to get into these giant battles for me if it doesn't have a story it's not interesting enough like if it's just there as mechanics it's not interesting enough well and titan the original titanfall didn't have a campaign either but they tried some interesting things like incorporating narrative moments into each of the multiplayer matches of course that felt great the first couple times you did it and then it was like oh this is the same thing every time yeah anyway um, so I don't know what the answer is with Call of Duty. I think giving each year time to breathe and focusing on the other pillars. I, for me, I want to see fewer Call of Duties. Like, yeah. I really do. I, I'd rather the games have time. I, and I mean, granted, granted, mm-hmm. I am not the core audience here, right? Mm-hmm. The last time that I played a Call of Duty, it was like 2003. So it's been, oh my God, it was 20 years ago the last time I picked up a Call of Duty game. I'm sure that it's very much changed. But my point is, um, 
even though I'm not the core audience, I think the core audience could be just like, okay, well, we'll just play Warzone while we're yeah. waiting. Yep. Right? And if you give the games the time to breathe and you make an absolute spectacle of the launch mm-hmm. and you make it into this grandiose and really like community driven and inclusive thing that is a celebration of this franchise, I think that you'd be moving back towards it being something special. I, I just don't understand why more publishers haven't looked at Rockstar's success with Grand Theft Auto releasing every 10 years, which is different. a little bit much, which is a little bit much. That's different, though. But that's, you can, a, that's a different pedigree of game, then, too. Then even looking at Ubisoft and the success that they've had since <clears throat> Assassin's Creed Origins. The, the way that they rebooted the series with Origins was a really intelligent decision from a publishing perspective because, again, it allowed the game's time to breathe. And I think the decision they made with Mirage, which takes it back to core, where you don't have the RPG elements, where things are a little bit, it's a smaller game, it's a little bit more streamlined, says people, tells people, or lets people enjoy Assassin's Creed in its different iterations. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that for all of Ubisoft's problems, the they recent decision, they understand Assassin's Creed, but I don't really... think they understand anything else. <coughs> Skull and Bones. What? Uh, you mean watered down uh, sea, of sea of Thieves? Yeah. That Rare does better? Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Anyway, I, I hope that that answers or at least puts some context around our thinking on your question, Charles. Really good question. Thank you to both Charles and Robin for submitting questions for this week. We really appreciate it. And that's it. So thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. Um, look, we're not on Twitter anymore. I still post the show there. Um, you can find us there at Virtual EconCast. <clears throat> if you need a blue sky code, you can always hit me up. I have five sitting there. Yeah, waiting. I've got five as yeah. well. So um, me. So we will continue to promote the show on Twitter, but we're not there much. We are on Blue Sky uh, at virtualeconomy.bsky.social. I'm at footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H dot bsky.social. And I'm ritualmagic.bsky.social. So that is ritual with a W in front of ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also post the show on LinkedIn, on the F Squared account. And our own. And our own, Absolutely. Yep. And you you can still subscribe to the RSS feed, which is um, available on virtualeconcast.com. You can also peruse some of our older writing there. Mike and I have not had the time to Although sit we down. will be doing our earnings, or uh, not our earnings, our trends, look back, look ahead, as yep. we always do at the end of this year. Absolutely. Be, I'm, we're hoping to get into, again, now that we're settling into our new jobs, we would like to start getting back into a more regular cadence, both with writing mm-hmm. and analysis, as well as the show being, you yep. know, at this top is actually of mind. this marks a decade of the trends pieces. By the way, I started a doing decade. them. At, I started doing them at Game Informer in 2013, and you continued doing them over at uh, Game Daily mm-hmm. when we were. Oh, we did one together. on GameSpeed too, didn't we? We did. Yeah, we did one on GameSpeed as well. Yeah, we've been. I've been doing these since 2018, so it's been five years for me. So mm-hmm. I've been doing them for about half that time. Um, so anyway, my point is you can hang out with us on virtualeconcast.com. You can also listen to us on all major podcasting platforms, including uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Pocket Cast, and I like, I hope- Pocket Land! Oh my God, that was so loud. I know. Holy smokes, bro. We do not have- Wow. That was shouted literally in my face. I know. Um, I pocket sanded your face with my mouth. Uh, I sandblasted you. Why? <laughs> Would anyone like to, to buy a mic? Like he's uh, he's cheap. I'll I'll pay I'll pay for shipping. Um, 
please subscribe and if possible review the show we'd always like to know what you think and you know you can also dm us with questions yep uh you know, drop them into Discord. Discord, oh, yeah. like we we always put a call out for questions, and we've been doing that recently, and it's been great. Um, and uh, if you prefer the emails, you can email us at podcast at fsquared.biz. Absolutely. And with that, um, remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We'll see you soon. <laughs>